I care for you and I will provide for you. Those are the three things that he's going to show them in these chapters. And for Israel, that lesson took quite a while to learn. And it involved much complaining and much distrust. However, this morning, I hope, as application, we can take away from our passage an encouragement not to grumble as the people of Israel did. On this occasion and on two other occasions either side of this, I hope this morning the two applications I want us to take away from this passage is that we would hopefully re-establish our gratitude for the Lord and that's sort of seen and found through true remembrance of all that God has done for us. And then secondly, that we would respond with rest, knowing God's care and knowing his, his, his protection of us, knowing that he's always working all things for the good of his people. And so firstly, let's think about re-establishing our gratitude. Now I wonder if you've ever sat in the house and got very bored. Um, now I work from home a lot, um, just with, with the type of job that I have now, studying a lot. I sit in the house and by the end of the night I often get sick of the house and I think I want to be outside. I've got sick of sitting down. The sofa's no longer comfortable. The walls in the house don't excite me anymore. The snacks in the cupboard are no longer tasty. And I think, I just want to go out. But it's raining, so we're not going to get far. So maybe you decide, well, we'll go to the cinema. So you go to the cinema, you get your popcorn and your drink. And as you sit there in the awkward silence before the film even starts, you munch away at your popcorn, you sip away at your drink. And then the lights go down and the adverts start. And that runs for about half an hour. And that's always very annoying. And all of a sudden, the adverts end and you realise you're almost out of popcorn. And you shake your drink and it doesn't sound too full anymore. And as you sit there, you think, right, I better save some for the film. But then the film starts and you're ten minutes in. You've now finished your popcorn. You've now finished your drink. And now you've drunk so much coke you need the toilet. But you can't go because you're sitting in the middle of a room. And you're starting to think, this film wasn't as great as what it was hyped up to be. And discontentment and boredom sets in. And you're now thinking, I should have just stayed at home, not wasted my money, and I could have paused this film, I could have changed the channel, and I could have got more snacks, and I could have went to the toilet at any time I liked. The thought of going out seemed better than the reality of going out. And you were no longer thankful to be out of the house. And that's, in principle, what happens to the people of Israel. Although there's a lot more serious than losing out or running out of popcorn. These people are freed from slavery. They want it out. And yet now it's starting to think that the reality of getting out isn't quite as good as what they thought. And they're thinking they wished they had not been rescued and they were still sitting in Egypt. That's exactly what verses 1 to 3 of our chapter say. Look with me. It says, The entire community of Israel departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and we had all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us out here to the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. 
Here we see people basically saying, if the Lord had killed us with all the plagues in Egypt, at least we would have died with full bellies. We wouldn't have been dragged all the way out to the wilderness, put through all of this stress just to be starved to death. We would have been better staying in Egypt. And their grumbling starts to get more and more and their gratitude for what God has done for them has slipped away. In fact, Psalm 95 picks up on the grumblings of the people of Israel in these selection of chapters. Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. Read this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as at Massa in the wilderness when your ancestors tested me. They tried me though they had seen what I did. Though they had seen what I did. They lost all gratitude for what God had done. They got to the hurdle and they thought, nah, this is too much. And what makes Israel's dissatisfaction so bad is that God had done so much for them. He had done the thing they probably longed for for years and yet now they're going, it wasn't worth it. They don't think God's going to keep them even though he's took them the whole way out. They get there humble and they lose all hope. And as we think about their discontentment, we could be very tempted to think, what a disgraceful bunch of people. They've, they've been freed from slavery and oppression. They're no longer getting whips in their back every day. They're no longer being forced into doing things they don't want to do. They're free. They've seen God open the walls of water for them to walk through. He crushed the Egyptians when they chased after them. He made the better water sweet so they could drink it. He brought them to a place with food and and now the food's running out, they're getting a wee bit ungrateful. But yet at times, are we really much different? You know, as we enter a new year, you might have marked last year as a difficult year. Or maybe you're thinking this year ahead has got hurdles of its own. Maybe even this week has hurdles of its own. And yet I believe the remedy for discontentment is re-establishing our gratitude. And it's found through true remembrance of what God has done and what he is like. As we look at the story of Exodus, we look at it in the context of knowing that God was going to keep all his promises. We look at it in the context of, well, look, they were brought out, they became a nation, Saviour of the world came, the church grew, praise the Lord, and he's coming back. We have all this information right here. But they didn't. And I don't think that's much different at times to how we view life. Just as they couldn't see the future, neither can we. But we can look to the past and think what God has done. And I think we can use this passage as a warning not to forsake our thankfulness to God just because we can't see the future as well. If we think of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 6, the great missionaries end up in prison, and yet we see them singing. And I don't think they're singing because Paul's saying, oh, I, you know, I was so glad to get a good cold steak tonight. I was so glad to be chained up. Do you know, these prison walls, they're so comfy to lean back on. That's not why Paul's singing. 
No, he's singing because he's not lost his thankfulness to God. These men have seen God do amazing things. They've entrusted all their lives to God. Look at all the things that God had done. He saved Paul when he was bound for hell. And yet God turned him around, saved him, turned him into a missionary, and did lots of amazing things through Paul. He had much to be thankful for. And he wasn't going to start grumbling now. Because even if the Lord wasn't going to rescue him, he had much already to be thankful for, more than he deserved. But as well, he could look forward and say, and I've still much to gain. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He hadn't lost his thankfulness. And I think that's an incredible challenge to sometimes our mindsets in life. To ask ourselves, is that how we view a lot of our circumstances? Has following God made your life more difficult? Awkward with your family? Difficult in your workplace? Has it set you aside? Has it produced loneliness? Have the circumstances of your life, whether that be financial struggles or or, or not having as cushy a life as another family, or loneliness, as I've said, has that left you with a temptation to be resentful towards God? Or could it, if that became your circumstance, Could that leave you with the temptation to grumble towards the Lord? Well, if so, I don't want to belittle circumstances. I don't want to be ignorant of of, of people's true feelings. But if I can do anything this morning, can I encourage you, if those times come, or when those times come, look back. Look back and see what God has done in your life. That you may fight the urge to grumble. Firstly, if you want to do that, look openly and plainly at the things God has done materially in your life. He's given you breath in your body. He's given you physical life. He's put clothes on your back. He's given you a church assembly to be part of, a a body of believers to encourage one another, to care for one another. And even if you consider what you have as a bare minimum, it's still a wonderful gift from God, isn't it? Because we know that all things we have came from God. And secondly, and most graciously, if we're Christians here this morning, and we have been saved from our sin, we've something truly to be thankful for. Now, I don't want to just throw that statement out there. I want to paint a picture so we grasp how great our salvation is. So let's paint a picture together. We were all walking on a path of destruction. And we were going to spend eternity in punishment for rebelling against God. And we were going to spend eternity in separation from God's blessings because we did not deserve them. Yet, what God did was he gave you the conviction to follow Jesus. I've been reading through John's Gospel in the the mornings over the last few weeks and I got to John chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. And this is what it says. This is what Jesus says. John chapter 10, verses 25 28, it says, I did tell you, and you did not believe. Jesus answered them, The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. In John 10, Jesus is declaring that those who follow him have been given the ability to follow him. So let us not stumble at the hurdles of life like Israel did, but let's be thankful this morning that even though we've walked in the deadness of sin, even though we've walked in rebellion to God, He's seen it fit to open our ears, to move our hearts, and bring us into His flock so that we could experience the care of a good shepherd. And of all the people in this world, just think, God chose me and He chose you. Out of all the people, I don't know about you, but I can think of a lot better people than me. And yet I'm amazed that God chose me. What a wonderful privilege that is. Christian, Christians here today, if at any stage in life you sit in the bitterness of the people of Israel, or your walk with God goes some way cold, or you're debating, is God really as wonderful as was made out to me when I first followed? Remember God's mercy and kindness. Remember his provision for your life and for your soul. And pray that you would be moved to reestablish gratitude for all that the Lord has done in your life. Secondly, let's then respond with rest to that there. Now, recently there's been a big trend in the last few years of self-care. If you work for a small company with a workaholic boss, you probably don't know what self-care is and you've probably never experienced rest. But if you work for a bigger company, you will know that there's a big emphasis on not stressing in the workplace and and there's an emphasis on self-care. And for some, self-care has been a New Year's resolution. Maybe you've decided that you're not going to get so bogged down in all the things of life. You've thought, I spent too much time in the office. Or maybe you've thought, well, I spent too much time running around after so many things that I've never had time to sit down and enjoy my family or any time to sit down by myself and relax. So maybe this year you've maybe thought, well, I'm going to book a spa treatment every couple of months. I'm going to get onto the, onto the Galgorm and we're going to treat ourselves for some rest. But this group of Israelites, they weren't being asked to book a spa treatment. They weren't being asked to make a New Year's resolution to try and get a wee bit more me time. No, the Lord in these chapters is moving them to a very different way of living. This section is the start of the people of Israel being winged off the Pharaoh economy of Egypt, which involved working hard every day, no break, and you only get what you work for, and even then, you're not going to get a fair reward. And they're being moved on to what's called a Sabbath economy, where rest is valued and it's commanded. And they're going to learn that as people, they don't need to feel the need to be watchful over every aspect of life. And they don't have to work every single day to make sure things keep turning. No, they can take time to rest. Because not every single thing in life is going to depend on them. And through these food and drink related chapters in Exodus, and through these sections... The Lord is testing them so that they would learn to follow his word diligently. He's trying to train them up in faithfulness so that they would be prepared for a journey that is still in store for them. 
That's exactly why when God led them out of Egypt, it says in chapter 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not let them, or sorry, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. It tells us that God avoided the route because he knew that they were not ready. He had many lessons to teach them in the wilderness. And he had many things to show them. And this was one of them. That they need to learn to rely on him. And so we read in, in, in verses 4 and 5 of this chapter. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Here the Lord tests them to see how they're going to respond. This lesson would teach publicly their faith. It would teach them to have faith in God that he would provide, but it would also show outwardly the people's hearts. Were they truly devoted to God? Did they truly trust God? That's what this was going to show. God was going to provide everything every day, but on the Sabbath day, he would provide twice as much so that, one, they could rest in knowing that there is definitely food for the next day, but they also didn't have to go out and gather food for the next day. Verses 13 to 21 then records what happens when the manna and quail are given. Let's read that together. Verses 13 to 21 say... So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, uh, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, It is the bread, of the Lo- or, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot and some gathered a little. When they measured by the quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus and the person who gathered little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he had needed to eat. Moses said to them, No one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some of the people left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. He gathered as much as he had need. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Although they're instructed when and how much to gather, there are clearly some here in this camp of Israel that lack faith. They lack faith that God would provide them. So they gather in a little extra just in case, just as a security, in case he doesn't bring the manna tomorrow, we'll gather a wee bit extra, we'll store it away. But their plans to do this fail. And God has to show them, you need to trust, I will provide. And they become subject to God's provision when the manna grows worms and rots. And it smells. 
And the manna that's left on the ground outside the camp melts away. So they can't go and lift a wee bit extra later on in case they change their mind. They're learning the lesson. However, when they gather the, the, the manna on the or for the when they gather extra manna for the Sabbath day, instead of it rotting away, the Lord keeps it. And we see a wonderful miracle here that God is providing for them. Verses twenty two to twenty six, read this. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake. Boil what you will boil and set aside everything left over to to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather it But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. God teaches them part of the reason for the Sabbath, and it's simply this. They don't need to labor constant. The Lord will provide, and it doesn't depend on them. Now, there's much more to learn from the Sabbath, and that's going to come later in the book of Exodus. But this is the early bits that they're going to learn about Sabbath, is that they have to learn to rest in the Lord's provision. This Sabbath rest was a gift. And of course, when we get to the day of Jesus, many of us will know the Pharisees turned the Sabbath into a hindrance rather than a gift. And so people are just like the workaholic boss that we thought about earlier, those who don't know what rest is like because their boss never lets them uh, stop. They're put under a hindrance, but instead the Lord gives this as a day of rest, as a gift to say, no, take time to relax. Because I will provide for you daily. Everything does not depend on you and how much you can work and get everything done. And this is exactly the concept that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6. They're well-known verses. I'll read them for you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. Say this. So don't worry what we will eat or what we will drink. Or what we will wear, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, those who don't know God and think that it all depends on them, they waste their lives trying to build up their empires on their own strength. And all of that, it brings worry. Because they can't set anything down because it all depends on them. But the truth is, Jesus is saying, actually, your Heavenly Father is the provider for all things. And He will give you what you need because He knows what you need. And there will be no point of worrying or how you're going to hold on to things or how you're going to build things up because it all depends on God and he will give you as he sees fit. This passage is calling all those who follow God to respond to this warning of this passage with rest. And take time this week, I'd encourage you to think about how that boils down in your own life, in your work life, in your family, being a parent, being a carer, whatever it may be, 
know, life as an adult can often be so uncertain. Things can fall apart so fast and unexpectedly. And as believers, we too can feel like we've been hit by a bus. And we can feel like we've been dragged through our heads backwards by our circumstances in life. Yet, despite that, and I don't speak in ignorance, but despite that, I speak with confidence to say, after studying this passage this week, our God has not forgotten about us. Israel lost all their gratitude and they struggled with resting in the Lord's timing and provision because they forgot to look back. They forgot to look back and consider what the Lord had done. The Lord called them out of Egypt. He he was going to provide for them. The Lord wasn't calling them out to see what might happen if they get freed. He wasn't, you know, releasing uh, people into the wild and saying, well, off you go. I freed you. Make a life for yourselves. No, he had a purpose for their freeing. He had a purpose for their journey. He wasn't going to leave them to, to, to starve to death. You know, my granddad and me were talking this week and he was telling me of the passage that uh, convicted him to follow the Lord as a teenager. And it was a passage from Isaiah that tells us that God's ways or his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And at times in life, God is calling us to stand and wait in faith. Because things will happen in his timing and in his way. And he's not going to forget about you. He has not left you behind. He has not took you on a journey that is pointless. But it's often at times when we can't see the way, the best thing we can do is look back and cling tight to the firm hope and say, he's brought us this far. He's not going to abandon me. And I think like Paul and Silas sat in prison singing, when circumstances didn't look so wonderful, We can say no matter what the future holds. He's been good to us in the past and he has promised us an even more glorious future. Because this world, this life is fleeting. And we need not worry about the things of this life because we know our God goes with us. Christians learn from the failure of Israel. Do your best to keep from grumbling and from distrust. And keep looking back so that you would establish all gratitude and that we would respond with all circumstances and rest. Let's pray together before I hand over. Lord, we thank you for the account of history of your people. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness that you've shown to them. And we thank you, God, that even at times when we, just like them, struggle to see what you could be doing, Lord, you graciously forgive us and you keep walking with us. Lord, would you keep us from grumbling? Would you reestablish our gratitude and help us to rest in our circumstances? Lord, not trying to control everything ourselves, but say, the Lord has it at hand and we will rest and we will be patient. Help us to do that, Lord, for it's not easy. But Lord, please be gracious to us. Forgive us for the times when we don't do that and when we fail to do that. And Lord, as we... Think about this passage, Lord. Would you remind us of it? So that we would be encouraged for the future. And Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on what is to come. The glorious riches of being in your presence one day. Away from the curse of sin. And all that the effects it has on our lives. We praise you for this.